Welcome to Too Deep Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, we're just days away from hate week. Did you watch any of the football this past weekend? Uh, I did not watch any Saturday games. I know that's going to be blasphemous, but uh, I did watch... I think I texted you and Joe. I watched part of the Navy BYU game and what I <laughs> wasn't saw wasn't much of a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you could call that football, that they just got decimated. I I could tell right from the beginning. The offensive line for and I sent this to you. The offensive line just looks so dominant from BYU. You could just tell that in my mind that was not going to change at any point in the game. And from what I gather, it did not. No, no. They they crushed them and it, it was disappointing cuz when I was looking at the game and just the preseason rankings on Navy and BYU, like it should have been a pretty even matchup. And the game was in Annapolis, no fans, but still in Annapolis. And man, oh man, it was not an even matchup. And they said, they, I think on the broadcast, they said that Navy hadn't been hitting in practice and stuff like that. So Jeff Grimes, the offensive coordinator, our former offensive line coach, really looking good for BYU. Yeah, I only gave my buddies, they said, you know, what should we bet on this weekend? I only gave them, I gave them one bad pick, which was, I thought SMU was going to cover. They didn't, obviously. And then I told them, go BYU. And obviously that covered by a lot. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, do you have a cheers for us? Yeah, just to college football being back. I mean, we had our first, I guess you could call it uh, real big time football game, even though, you know, it was not not great. Um, You had one. You had one triple option team decimate another team, and then you had one triple option team look like a joke in Navy. So Navy Army on two different uh, ends of the spectrum. They sure but, are. Yeah, I mean, we're into real football, so I'll give a cheers to those that watched it and enjoyed it. But uh, you got me hooked on uh, another new college football podcast, and I think it's, what, Pete Thamel and all of those guys. It's and I, I don't know the voices like I do all the other podcasts right, yet because right. I just started it, but I thought it was, it's much more cynical. So in case you're not, they're not down with that. It's much more making fun of, you know, college football. If you're kind of one of those people that get a little bit annoyed by that, you're going to hate it. But, uh, it, I thought it was funny that they came out and they're like, yeah, this weekend was basically trash. <laughs> they're like that's probably violating some code, but, uh, it was trash football. Uh, I just yeah. want everybody to know that we don't have to sit here and say, Hey, we, at least we got college football. It was bad games, but we're getting into the heat of it this week. So let's just cheers to to some football being back and then good games coming up. Cheers. Football is kind of like pizza in a way that even when it's bad, it's still okay, you know? So yeah, I, the games weren't very good. But uh, yeah, that podcast you were talking about was the Yahoo Sports College Football Podcast. And I just actually, it's, I think it's just called college podcast. It's, I think they'll do all the sports, but, uh, it's relatively new. It's Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel and Pat 40. So some pretty big names in college football all on that podcast. Yep. So the news and notes, the heights and weights were updated on hokeysports.com. It's something that a lot of the diehards are kind of always looking for. Like I always want to know the, know the new heights and weights of guys, uh, and I did notice first and foremost that Jaden Cunningham and Taiwan Garbett are no longer on the roster. Uh, those are two guys we thought would miss the entire season, but to have them completely off the roster, I think, uh, was a little surprising to me. That, that kind of indicates 
that maybe they won't ever suit up for the Hokies again. I'm not really sure what to make of that. The biggest thing that I saw, and you texted me about this, was TJ Jackson is now the heaviest player on the team. He was before, but now he's up to 377 pounds. <laughs> That's yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw it and, and robbed it, obviously, from the Andy Bitter tweet because it was hilarious. But, oh my goodness. I, well, I was I was blown away by that. I mean, that number is staggering at how large he is. But I was actually even more blown away by just the size of our offensive line just in general. Yeah. If you go down, I mean, you have to go all the way down to, what, Parker Clements and Noah Sage to get below 300 pounds, and you're already... That's you know, and those are, that's a true freshman, right? Like, yeah. I think you're 20 people down on like the offensive line at that point. So it's um, you know Cannon 332, uh, Silas at 330, Nestor's at 327, Lectus yeah. Smith 320. It's big. I mean, you know that's where I was, you, that you Nestor weight, him being up to 327. That's that's big, man. And you know he has the skill and kind of the frame to hold that weight. 327 might be a little on the heavy side, but man, that's that's kind of nice to see for a guy just in his second year. Yep. Yeah, pretty pretty impressive. What I had as the the tangible uh thing from that O-line takeaway was 12 O-linemen at 310 plus on the Virginia Tech roster. Last year going into 2019, we had 9 at 310 plus. So we have three more. That 9 last year was the most at that level since 07. So huh. this like blows that out of the water <laughs> and we, yeah, this is the biggest beefiest O-line we've had maybe ever at Virginia Tech. Yeah. And let's just hope it's not just COVID weight. We, we definitely <laughs> let's hope not. Yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's hope that there's a, there's plenty. I'm sure there is, but plenty of muscle behind that. And I think that could swing both ways. And that's where I'm going with this next guy. Keyshawn King, our, our slight running back from last year is even slighter now. He is 175 pounds listed. Uh, and and that's the, that's the difference I'm talking about. Like some guys might not be able to keep weight on. Some guys might not be able to keep it off. And so if you didn't have weights during COVID or you didn't have uh, the university meal plan or whatever, uh, you could lose some weight too, or if you got sick. So we I don't want to speculate too much on what happened to Keyshawn King, but he's at practice. He's returning punts, uh, returning kicks, so he's going to play, I think. And, yeah. and there's no should he redshirt, should he not, because everyone's basically getting a redshirt this year. Uh, but, yeah, that's a little concerning. You don't want a guy who's 175 pounds running the football all that many times. No. But, I, I mean, then you also, you know, we talked a lot about Cleo Herbert. Um, 5'9", 212 he's listed at. I mean, at that <laughs> yeah. height, that guy's got some – Got some mass to him, so that yes. that and if that's if that's muscle, that's gonna that's gonna hurt trying to take down. It um, looks like muscle guy. in the pictures, that's yeah. for sure. So, um, you know, we we got we have backs that can that can certainly carry the load. So, um, when I saw that one seventy five uh, on our first depth chart we put out, we had Holston slash King. I'm almost ready to remove that slash based on the weight, and and you might see Marco Lee. Or Terrius Wheatley, who I noticed was 190, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, you know, take some of those carries from King. I, I don't know. Well, that running back uh, situation, I think we have great options across the board. And King will hopefully put the weight back on. And he's still explosive and fast and yeah. will make plays for us for sure. I'm just, that's that's very light. Yeah. Again, on the flip side, 
redshirt freshman in Fuga, the defensive tackle, he came in at 6'2", 323. That is massive for a defensive tackle. Yeah, that is um that is large. So I, I don't know I don't know what we had him at and what he was you know, in how much weight did he's actually put on in comparison. I think it was like fifteen I think it was like three oh eight before. So right. I think it was fifteen pounds. Wow. Yeah, I mean that's I mean he's six two, so yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a big dude. So um that'll be that'll be interesting. But you know, you have Crawford at two ninety, Hewitt at two eighty. Um you know, everybody else seems relatively around where um, you would expect, but that's a little bit a uh, little bit bigger than I would have uh, expected seeing coming out. Yeah. Final one I had was Caleb Smith, the wide receiver. He is up to fourteen. He's up fourteen pounds. He's six two two twenty one, heaviest wide receiver on the team, and that is a that's a large wide receiver. That's a big target for us, and maybe with. The next news and note I have, which is Jaden Payout being in a boot on Instagram, maybe Smith jumps up into that too deep. Yeah, the payout news was was bad. I don't know if it's been confirmed or if you've heard. The last I had heard, and I've been a little bit checked out for a few days, was they thought he might have broken his ankle. I don't know if it's sprained, broken, and if it's broken, I mean, that's the season probably for him. It's but, a lot of the season for yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, but either way, something, and that was during a scrimmage, I believe is what I had heard. So not not great news at all. I think we were excited to see what he was going to do, at least for, you know, kicking off the year. But now we'll have to see if he can he can make it back or not. Well, let's finish on a good note. 21 seniors on this roster right now. I put out the tweet earlier today about this number of seniors on the roster at the start of each VT football season since 2010. This is the most at 21. Last year we had five. So quadruple the number of seniors on this year's team. I think the year before that we had single digits again. So we haven't had double digits in a few years. And going back, I mean, I think the highest was like 17 and wow. we have four more than that. So it's it's a lot of experience. And yeah, some of those guys are just got here and they're transfers and they need to get acclimated. But every year there's some transfers and there's some JUCOs and whatever. So when you see 21 seniors, that has to make you feel good about the potential of this team. Yeah. And I mean, they're relatively experienced ones. So that's not, I mean, even if you, you have Herbert in there, Jackson in there, Cannon in there, Hoyt in there, Hewitt. So, I mean, they're Diablo. I mean, these are guys that have a lot of Holston, a lot of experience behind them. So it's not just, you know, you can be tenured and have never seen the field, but these are guys that have had reps and have had starts that are, um, you know, definitely experienced uh, Crawford's in there uh, as well. Yeah, man. I I, I put out uh, earlier that I just still feel like we are, are very underrated nationally going into the season. There's been a few places like the FPI and Athlon had us in the top 25 originally. Like they they were one of the highest of the the magazines and major publications that had us in the top 25. Uh, but with that number of seniors and the number of returning production that we have from Bill Connolly, I, I just don't know how this isn't a top 20 team. Yeah, I think what's happened is you, you always had you had Clemson at the top, so you take them off the list, right? And then the next down from them was this the Sam Howell slash Mac Brown's actually working slash 
UNC's been recruiting really well. So that mm -hmm. kind of like slotted them in there. And then you had FSU with just the expectation based on the talent level that they have and people thinking, well, they can't be down forever. Like the offensive line can't be that bad forever. There was the coaching change. And I'm like, yeah, it can't be as bad as the Taggart, you know, error, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So people were focused. Then people realized and kind of came to realization of Louisville's quarterback really situation and, and the, the talent that they have and Satterfield. So you just had like a lot of people just picking out their gems as this off season has kind of built up and nothing has really stood out for, for Virginia tech. If you think yeah. about it, like, you know, we don't have the, like a killer on defense. We don't have the numbers on at the quarterback position or at the running back position. Cause we lost McLeese too. So I, I do understand it. You're right. There mm -hmm. isn't any one thing. And then we go and lose Farley too, to the opt out. So, right. There, there's no All-American to hang your hat on. There's no, there's Rayshard Ashby, but he's probably the most underappreciated big-time player there is. Right. So, yeah, exactly it. There's not there's not that. And, you know, even the national guys, as, as much as they study this all day long, talk to coaches, all of these sorts of things, they only get so far down. You know, they don't even get through the depth chart, really. Only a few of them do. And so there's only so much research they can do, even with 76 teams versus the full, you know, 130 that they can do on each program. So without that, you know, kind of thing to hang your hat on, you kind of, you don't, you don't have that much research going into it, which I like. I mean, I want to go into the season underappreciated and, and hopefully, you know, playing, um, playing well, well above that with experience. And I like having, you know, a big core group of, of contributors and not just that one person that's make or break. And, you know, who knows you, you lose that, you know, that one person for a couple games due to COVID and all of a sudden your season changes. I, I like the depth rather than the other way around. Yeah. It comes down to the lack of star power and the fact that Fuente, he was good. And then he's kind of dipped down. There were some questions on the team. We had to rally from a depth after Duke. And I just feel like people have a lot of question marks. And the, and the lack of star power factors into that. And we are where we are. But when you look at the numbers and just what we've done on the offensive line, what we've done in transfers, the number of seniors, all this kind of stuff, it, to people who are examining it closely, like a Tom Fernelli and some of the guys at Athlon, like they know that we're going to have a good season. Yeah, I would agree. We're going to talk about those rankings a little bit more with uh, with regard to just where we're coming in preseason, but I wanted to first talk about Fuente on Tech Talk Live. Uh, he went on this past Monday. It was the first episode, I think, with the coach, and the one thing he mentioned I thought was interesting was the cross-training of players on both sides of the ball. So in case of COVID, they are playing guys on offense and defense. So you might see a corner play wide receiver and vice versa. Uh that was, I thought, was pretty interesting. But he also said, we're not going to go chasing ghosts, but we are going to be prepared. Yeah, I think this news and this news ties into the Big 12's announcement on their standards for what you need to field in order to be able to play, coupled with um, a really nice piece that a lot of people covered because it was during, um, you know, Fuente's media um, uh, segment where he talked about again, repeatedly, the key play, you know, summarized it really, really well, where he repeatedly just said, 
I have no clue. Like we're getting no direction on what it means. When do you have to forfeit a game? When can you play? What mm-hmm. What are the standards? Like it was, it was a really bad look for the ACC. He it didn't seem like he held back any punches. He was just like, I have no clue. We're flying completely blind here, uh, which I think really ties in to the cross training and you know just having to be ready and versatile for whatever comes out. The ACC still has not announced what their standards are. I imagine you know we'll get into it. We'll be roughly in line, but who knows what you're going to have to do and who you're going to have to put out on the field at this point or what you need to field the team or what's going to justify you saying that you can't play a game or, or are fit to play a game. Yeah, he mentioned that they could find out Saturday morning how many guys are out. And so you have to literally switch on the fly for these games because the last test, I think, is Friday right. night. Yeah, so um, Fernelli actually had a really nice part of the cover three, which was some good inside baseball, if you haven't heard this. He said what from that first week and the second week, basically they're going to the hotel on Friday. They take a test at some point during the day or that, that evening. They get bubbled. You know, you have one person that you stay in the room with. You're in that kind of bubble. The tests all go in. You don't know whether you're playing or not until Saturday morning. Um, And basically around whatever time in the morning, 9 a.m., the test results come out on Saturday and then you start basically drawing lines through, you know, guys that can't can or cannot play. So I I think in a weird way, I think that's both good and bad. Like everybody's going into the game expecting to play. It would be great to have a little bit of preparation, but I feel like there's also, you know, a side of it. It's going to keep guys on their toes. Yeah. You're on your toes and you're, you're getting ready. (laughs) There was always that, that line that people know that it's like, you're, you know, you're just one play from being the guy that needs Mm -hmm. to play. So it forces everybody to be prepared right up until Saturday morning for the game. Like they have to go in because the starters out, you won't know. Yeah, and so moving along in that vein, the Big 12 put out their thresholds, and you need to have one quarterback, you need to have seven offensive linemen, you need to have four defensive linemen. Uh, But I think with regard to the skill positions, there wasn't a a lot of limits. It was mostly uh, just the lines and the quarterback, which I think makes sense. Yeah, they're mostly, it's safety, I think, is what they're thinking about there. You need a functional defensive line and you can't really, you know, have that with just swapping in somebody. You don't have the size. You can't put the weight on those kind of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then especially on the offensive line, I think that's why they said, you know, seven is important because you need to have some protection for the quarterback. Otherwise, you're adding injury on top of what we're all already dealing with, which is, um, a, you know, a pandemic that's causing a lot of complications. So it made, I thought it made perfect sense to just leave it at those three position groups and not go to any of the skill positions. Another interesting thing that I noticed today was the talent composite had been updated for 2020. And that usually isn't updated until about Labor Day. And I keep checking all the time, but over the weekend, 247 did update their talent composite. We are 30th in roster talent. Last year, we were 29th. So it's about the same. And and I guess that makes sense because we didn't lose very much. Um, and we gained a very small class or a class on the small side, at least. So 30th in roster talent. When Fuente got here, it was about 35, 36. And so we've, we have kind of steadily moved up a little bit, even if there was a slight step back from 29 to 30. We'll see how that continues to go down the line as, 
as we've harped on the struggles in recruiting, we have turned a little bit of a corner as of late. And we got uh, we talked about the running back Kenji Christian last podcast, but we got Dax's brother, Jack Hollifield, committed to the program. That's right. Yeah, and I think he's ranked right now as a three-star uh, yeah, coming in. Yeah, high-end three-star coming in uh, as a linebacker. But I guess Shabest, uh, he came out that he Shabest was talking a little bit about how he might end up playing some tight end or might be in that that vein. So, um, you know, a good pickup, obviously. Another uh, couple of brothers playing for Virginia Tech's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's it's a really solid pickup. Another uh, 87, I believe, on the 247 in-house rankings. So we've talked about the preseason rankings many different times, uh, all different places, and the Massey Composite compiles all the rankings. And usually during a regular season, they get about 99 rankings a week that they compile. Right now, there's 29 preseason rankings that they're putting an average on, and VT is 17th. At the lowest, we're number 35, and at the highest, we're number 7. And so I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Top 10? Like, who put us in the top 10? And it's a ranking system called the Congrove Computer Rankings. And if you go to collegefootballpoll.com, I guess, he's had this site for a long time to have that address, yeah. but it's collegefootballpoll.com. You'll find the Congrove Computer Rankings. He has this at number 7. He actually has a number of other ACC teams high up. Clemson's number two, so it's one of the few places Clemson isn't number one, but Notre Dame's at five, we're at seven, UVA's at 14, UNC at 16, which is pretty much where they're coming in everywhere else, and then Louisville at 17. So I actually sent him a message today just asking him, like, what goes into your rankings? Why are we number seven? Uh, And and he didn't really give me a very detailed response. It was just kind of like, I have a lot of different factors that go into my algorithm and so on and so forth. But what he did say is that he'd like to come on the podcast. So what we're going to try to do is set up an interview with him next week in addition to our UVA preview. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But I went back and looked at every ranking he put out while Fuente's been at Tech. And back in 2016, a year when we weren't ranked pretty much in any preseason poll, he had us at number 22. In 2017, he had us at 31. And we finished at 19th, and that was the year we went 9-3 and three, and then lost to Oklahoma State. So I think that 31 was more or less right. And in 2018, he was down on us, had us at 43rd, and we all know how, how bad that season went. Last year, started at 29th, and after UVA, had us at 29th. So I feel like, for some reason, he seems to have a decent pulse on Fuente. And so we'll see, like, if it's 10 spots lower... Sure, we, we're we number 17, and that's probably about what a lot of people think we might be. But if it's higher, could we yeah. be a top a top 10 team? Maybe. So I'm, I'm interested to bend uh, Dave Congrove's ear and see what he you know, w- puts into his rankings. And maybe it's a lot of the returning production. Maybe it's based on seniors. Like, that would make sense, but we'll find out. Yeah, I thought that was, yeah, well, I'll take 10 spots off of, uh, off of that. Number 17 <laughs> is a... A starting place to to think of for the team was uh, is nice, but I'll be really interested. And he probably a lot of those guys try and keep most of it proprietary and and um, you know try and make it you know their unique style to putting out rankings. But um, I'm sure he's willing to talk about what he carries some more weight on, what he doesn't. Most of those guys are pretty comfortable without getting into too much detail. So hopefully, he gives us some um, some details on what what goes into it. Before we go into the projected ACC standings by the media 
and where we think the ACC standings will shake out. I wanted to just talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. Downtown Crown Wine and Beer is in in Gaithersburg, right at the corner of 370 and where 270 meets 370. It's a great store. They actually just put out tweets today about the other half, the the truckload Tuesdays as they hashtag, uh, the new releases they get every week from other half. And that's just one of many craft beer places that they just have a great selection of. And then Dominion Wine and Beer is in Falls Church, right in Northern Virginia, where so many Hokies live. And I know that you frequented that store a little bit more just because of the proximity to your house. But they're both great locations to get a wide selection of beer, and you need to follow them on Instagram. You'll find out all their latest releases on there. Yeah, awesome beer, great selection, and then new stuff rolling in. If you're if you're like us, and I was joking with you, I forget what the last number was when you've had, I think we're at like 370-something beers that we've had, so different <laughs> beers on this podcast. It's in my Excel spreadsheet. When you have to try and find new beer and you need a spot that you or you like trying new beer and trying out new stuff and are not one of those people that just kind of go by, goes and buys the same thing all the time, then it's a, it's a great spot. And they also have all of the staple kind of beers. So you can go and get your, your regular stuff that you get all the time and then also kind of, you know, jump out and grab a four pack or six pack or something new. So I love that. The other guest I wanted to have on the podcast and we will have on eventually is Arash, who is the proprietor of Downtown Crown Wine and Beer, and just kind of talk to him a little bit about like how we got in the you know the beer business, liquor business, running essentially bars at both places with indoor outdoor seating and that kind of thing. Because I think any guy who likes to drink beer has had a few and then talked to his buddies like we got to start a bar, we got to start a beer garden, we should start a brewery, and right. and I just you know to talk to talk to the source about something like that and what goes into it a little bit I think would be a fun little interview uh, at the tail end of one of our, of our podcast so we'll have to do that as well. Robbie, I also wanted to ask you what you're drinking. So I promised I'd go into IPAs uh, this week again to finish off my non-alcoholic uh, beer segments. Uh, I'm coming up on like a full month. My tolerance is just going to be bottoming out. So for most people, that's you probably, probably feel pretty good though. Yeah, I do. I, I everybody I talk to that's done something like this, and they're like, "Oh man, is this what everybody else feels like that doesn't drink?" You know, they're like, "I feel amazing. I feel." good i mean i'm working out more i'm doing all that kind of stuff i don't feel like exceptional you know what i mean like i had this high expectation just like you know full clean month but um i definitely feel feel better there's no hangovers and at all whatsoever which is kind of nice but um so i went with and i said i would give everybody what i think is the best non-alcoholic beer that i've had is the brooklyn special effects non-alcoholic hoppy brew so it's from brooklyn brooklyn brewery um, in New York Easy for you to say, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't get that one out and it is, uh, I like it. It's delicious. It tastes probably as close to, of, of all the beers that I've had a normal beer. And it's honestly the best, uh, of all the ones that I've had. I've gotten one more that I haven't even tasted yet. That's down in the basement that I'll do on our second beer segment tonight. But of all the non-alcoholics, as I finish off this and uh, move back to alcoholic beers, is the um, the best. It's the Brooklyn Special Effects. I like that can artwork on there as well. Yeah, they actually, yeah, I feel like not a second-class citizen. Like, they actually put some work <laughs> into it. Some of the non-alcoholic beers, like, 
You can tell they put no effort into it whatsoever. Right. The can is just like a silver with like a terrible label on it. Well, I'm drinking the Tonewood Brewing Freshies. It's a pale ale from New Jersey, Oakland, New Jersey, and it's awesome, man. I, Tonewood, they're at a lot of the restaurants on tap around here, and their Fuego IPA is really good, but... This this Freshies, I think, is better than that. This is a fantastic pale ale, just not not bitter whatsoever, extremely good drinkability. I'm trying to find the uh, – it's 5% alcohol, so that's probably why. It's a little bit on the on the lighter side of a pale ale, I suppose. But, man, it's, it's really good. The Tonewood Brewing Freshies. Let's hop into this ACC media poll. I don't think it was any mystery that Clemson was going to be number one in the media's eyes. Notre Dame came in at number two. Again, pretty obvious. But after that, it got a little bit more interesting. North Carolina was number three. Louisville, number four. And your Virginia Tech Hokies came in at number five. Behind us was Miami at six, FSU at seven, Pitt at eight, and Virginia at number nine. And the rest of it we don't really have to get into, but we know that Wake, NC State, Duke, BC, Syracuse, and Georgia Tech were going to be at the bottom of the standings, I think. And And... I would assume that's where they'll be, but I want to ask you who you're buying and who you're selling based on these rankings. So based on the rankings, not just in general, right? So. Well, well, in light of them. So like mm-hmm. if, if these rankings put like North Carolina exactly where you think they're going to be, well, then you're not really buying or selling them. You're just, yeah, you're leaving them as is. Yeah. So I'm starting to buy into the Satterfield and the Louisville hype a little bit. After going back in preparation for you know looking at the game with Western Kentucky, um, Cunningham coming back, looking at some of his stats and what he was able to do um, last year, I think that has gotten me a little bit more sold on him as well as just what Satterfield did already. I mean, granted, it was all you had to do is get rid of their their last coach, and I think anybody <laughs> would have had some improvement over uh, right. over Petrino. But the um, I would say I'm buying definitely. Buy, starting to buy into the Louisville hype, even with the ranking of number four, even though that kind of kicks us down to number uh, number five. I'll have more comments on Miami once I see what happens against UAB. Um, we'll talk about that game a little bit um, more. Yeah, I'm definitely I'm selling on Syracuse, um, even though they're already at 14. But I really think that they're gonna. I, I've been hearing really bad things about what's going on in that program and just the you know, the um, energy and kind of, you know, want from the players of, of playing. I think a couple of people came out and talked about that. It might have been Fornelli, even as the latest today, was talking about that. And then I'm just, I'm just not totally sold on Pitt right now. I know a lot of people have started to um, build up a little bit of hype around them, but those are probably the three teams for me when I look at, you know, the media poll where I would kind of shake out on them. I also like Louisville. I, I don't know that I'm buying them because I think I have them at the exact same level at number four, but I like what Satterfield is doing, and I believe that they will be a top five team in the ACC. I'm buying Notre Dame. I I actually think Notre Dame could win this conference, um, and not just could. I, I think that I feel better about Notre Dame winning the conference than I do Clemson, well. and that'll and that'll be obviously revealed in, in my rankings, I suppose. And then FSU I'm buying. I think Mike Norvell, despite some missteps that he's made, is a very good coach. 
And if you look at that talent composite, FSU's talent is technically better than Clemson's. Wow. So they have studs still. And if Norvell can bring it together, which will be hard in a COVID offseason, but I think that they could finish uh, better than that seven mark they are in the media poll. Pitt, I feel like, I don't like Pitt, but I feel like at that eight spot, I think that's probably about right. Yeah. So why don't we go through and why don't you give me, um, why don't you give me your one through five? Okay. So one through five, I would, I'm going to keep it Clemson and Notre Dame the same. I'm actually going to jump Louisville over North Carolina. And I'm actually going to put Virginia Tech ahead of North Carolina. So it would be Clemson, Notre Dame, Louisville, Virginia Tech, North Carolina. I actually can go deeper than that. Then I would move Florida State up, and maybe I'll be proven wrong on Thursday when Miami plays, but I would kick Miami behind Florida State and swap them in the six and seven spots. And then after that, it's just kind of a mashup. I would say I would put Georgia Tech up ahead of Syracuse and Boston College, so they would be 13 14, 15, uh, respectively. Um, and then between Virginia, well, really Pitt and Duke, I think it's kind of a toss up. Yeah. I mean, I, I dropped Duke a little bit farther. Cause I do think if you look at the last few years, Cutcliffe has lost a step like that. His record is the worst of any of the coaches that have been in the ACC for the last four years. He has the worst record of all of them. So, uh, that's not good. I think Duke's going to be a bottom five team, despite the fact they might have a decent D line. I actually put BC at 10th. So I put them as like the tallest midget in that last group because they have a really good offensive line, a lot of returners on D and a returning quarterback. Although he's young, he's, he's still returning. So I've always liked those Northeast tough players. Yeah. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to take BC to finish in that 10th spot, but that's not saying a whole lot. As for number one, I'm I'm going with Notre Dame. I think their offensive line is the best in the conference. I think Ian Book is right there with Trevor Lawrence. Maybe not an NFL potential, but as a college QB, I think he's right there with him. And Notre Dame has, since that 2016 season where they just were awful, they've really been a like a top five team. Like they've been very, very good, made the playoff the one year. So I, I like Notre Dame. I think Clemson has lost too much on the offensive line. I think that Xavier Thomas loss on the defensive line, I think that's pretty big. And I I just feel like all these years playing in the playoff, um, maybe this is finally the year where they take that little step back. And so, and it's not going to be a large step. It's going to be a very little step. But I think that they could finish two instead of one. And then it's up for grabs at that point who who wins the wins the conference. But at three, I have Virginia Tech. And whether that means VT is tied with Louisville and UNC all in the standings and then wins on a tiebreaker or whatever, I don't know. But I think Tech could tie for second. I, that's their high end is tying for second or tied for third at eight and two or seven and three. I think that is where we end up. I projected us at seven and three in the ACC on our last podcast, and I'm going to hold to that projection. But the top end is eight and two, and I think if they finish eight and two, they could be tied for that second spot. Yeah, I think that's good. Your point on Notre Dame—I was going to hit this one a little bit later when we do our picks and games we want to watch. 
Um, obviously, the running back situation for Clemson is good, but you look at Notre Dame, and they were talking about it today on the cover three about um, Kyron Williams, uh, the redshirt freshman for them, and then their true freshman. It looks like Kyron's actually beaten him out, but um, and then Chris Ty- Tyree is also a freshman. So they have two studs back there that are really mm-hmm. good, and those are young guys, so Notre Dame will be stacked at that position for, for a few years to come. Yeah, I remember that Tyree name from recruiting. Like that was that that was a big time dude. Um, but yeah, I, it is is it's a little bold to pick Notre Dame over Clemson. But I just this is a weird year, and um, I believe in the trenches, and they are bringing back more in the trenches than Clemson is. So that's why I'm going with them. Yeah. So just to go through my top five, I had Notre Dame, Clemson, VT, Louisville, UNC. And then I had FSU just ahead of Miami at, and Miami at seven and then Pitt and UVA. So I had UVA ninth okay. and Pitt and UVA swap them, Pitt up to seventh and Miami down to ninth swap them. I mean, who, who the hell knows? But Miami to me, yeah, sure. They could pop up, be number four or five, but think about what they did last year. They quit on their coach. They finished six and seven. They lost to two conference USA teams at the end of the year and their quarterback Derek King, who was sensational at Houston two years ago, quit on his team last year. So you got a quarterback who quit on his team. You got players that quit on their coach. And so let's see who quits this year. How about that? Uh, I just don't believe in this Miami until they show me something. I think they have a lot riding on this Thursday. I mean, if this this has the ingredients... UAB is good. Yeah, their defense is very, very good. But they have... This game, I will be very interested. Maybe Miami comes out and does what they should do and wins a game and Deer King puts up a lot of points. But, you know, and I'll get into some of the some of the more of the details uh, once we do our, our picks and games we're going to watch. But this is not a great setup to have as game one coming out of COVID. This is something that our guys on the, uh, the college experience we're talking about, Colby and uh, Patty C. They said... You know, look at Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator from Miami. Brand new offensive coordinator, starting with a new quarterback in a COVID offseason. And what? who has he worked for? He worked for Sonny Dykes leading up to this, who's an offensive guru. And was was Lashley riding coattails? In his past, he's worked for Gus Malzahn, who, again, offensive guru. Was he riding coattails then? Yep. He's had a lot of different jobs in the past nine years. I think it was like seven and nine years or something like that. So how good is Rhett Lashley really? Yeah. And I know De'Aaron King, if he's playing at his best, is going to be a problem. I, I understand that. And Miami has some of the best talent of the country still. But these are valid questions to go with a second-year coach who proved absolutely nothing in year one. Yep. So I, I am selling the Canes big time. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I mean, yeah, Lashley was at... SMU, UConn, and Auburn before that. So those were, you know, the three last stops, and he's jumped around a lot. And um, we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, with uh, Manny Diaz in in year two. So before we get to this week's games, I wanted to ask you about the possibility of VT getting to that ACC title game. And to give you a little bit of time to think, I'll go first. But what I want to know is the percentage chance of us getting to the game, period, in your head, and then the percentage chance that we're tied for second and maybe miss out 
because of tiebreakers on the championship game. And I know that's kind of a kind Nuance. of a weird question, but like what it means is like, are we at the top of the conference or are we not? You know, are we on that next tier down? So I'll go first just to give you a little time to think. I'm putting us at 20% to make the title game. And I feel like a one in five chance is about right for this team. Because you got to figure Louisville's got at least you know, a 15% chance, if not the same as us at 20%. And Clemson and Notre Dame got to be filling the rest of that, that percentage. I mean, you might have UNC at a 10% chance or 15% chance too, but, um, and then we'd be like one or 2% for the rest of the teams. I, I, I don't know how you see it, but for me, VT has a one in five chance of getting to that title game. I would put it a little bit lower and mostly because of, well, Adding Notre Dame and then no conferences obviously changes that whole spectrum dramatically for us, which mm-hmm. should be relatively obvious to everybody. And, and then adding in you know Notre Dame on top of that, with them coming in, that kicks down the percentage. I think the other thing is I think Louisville misses both Notre Dame and Clemson this year in their schedule. If I'm not I mistaken, I got their schedule in front of me too. So keep going. I'll yeah, I'm pretty sure they miss both of them, which I think kicks up the odds. Or maybe it's North Carolina that misses both. One of those two teams misses both of them. And I think that's what really hurts us is us getting Clemson, which, you know, we could pull off, you know, uh, what would be an amazing upset there. But that kind of already chalks up, you know, a, a real L when you're thinking about, you know, that versus those other two teams. But I'm pretty sure uh, one of the two yeah, misses It looks both like Louisville and UNC are both missing Clemson. But they do... Both get Notre Dame. Okay. Well, I was mistaken there. So, well, maybe it is all on on equal footing then. Or I mean, if you think that, you know, we're getting Clemson and we're not getting Notre Dame. Yeah, so exactly. it's kind of, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I would probably put it at, you know, a ten percent chance and then a twenty percent ten percent chance of us making it, a twenty percent chance of missing out on with the um, the tiebreaker. Okay, yeah. So for being tied in the standings for second place, I had us at 35%. I feel like there's better than a third chance we tie for second place, which means there's a 65% chance I think we're lower than that, but 35% chance we tie for second place at 8 and 2 or 7 and 3. That that would cuz if you go 7 and 3, I don't know, you you've got to be in the top 5, right? I mean, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah, and it you know, we'll really see by week two or three. I'm just very interested to see. I, you know, it was really eye opening watching the game and not to, I know this is a little bit of a, um, off topic, but it's related seeing what happened to Navy against BYU with teams that yeah, were maybe, I don't know the best way to put this. Cause no matter how I say it, it's going to come out wrong. That didn't take the risks associated with tackling with doing all those things that you would do. Um, and, and albeit for the health and safety of, you know, and it's imperative that their guys stay health and safety, healthy, especially given, um, you know, their, their military program, then it really opened up my eyes. Just the difference between those two programs, because I think if you saw Navy and BYU in any other year, that game probably not they BYU probably wins, but I think it's a lot closer and yeah. it looks a lot better. But it was it was startling to see you know what an underprepared team looked like out on the field. So by week two or three, 
I think we're going to get a really good glimpse of, you know, one, who's prepared, who isn't. And two, what are the real impacts of COVID and players sitting out going to look like when you wake up Saturday morning and your starting quarterback's gone or, you know, your, your, your key offensive, um, you know, tackle or whatever the, whatever the case may be. Um, and that, that remains to be seen. So I could see it swing up pretty dramatically if we can stay safe and, and healthy and, and the guys can do what they can to, to make sure they're ready for Saturdays. Well, they pushed back that Tulsa Oklahoma state game this past weekend. It was supposed to be, I think upcoming and they, they moved it back a weekend or something, but that was because one of the teams had hadn't practice like more than seven days in the last month like yeah. something crazy because they've had guys out because of the protocols and so yes i agree with you we're gonna find out quick who's been able to practice right who's been able to practice in pads uh so on and so forth and and you're gonna see some of these crazy blowouts from games you would have thought been close i mean that was a one and a half point line in that byu navy game yep. so even even the the vegas odds guy like they don't really quite know yet <laughs> No, and people are nobody's nobody's really trying to signal that they're underprepared or they're not ready. Nobody's really coaches don't want to be putting that out and and, and saying yeah. that kind of thing, even though even though you know it may be warranted at this point that it's like, hey, we're this is not going to be good. We just weren't able to practice. All right, let's get into this week's games. UAB at Miami. This is Thursday night. Miami is a fourteen point favorite over the Blazers. UAB just played Central Arkansas last weekend and looked pretty good. Yeah, they did. I think they won by, what was it, 35-42-35 or 35-28. I think they I won think by I think Central touchdown. Arkansas kind of backdoored it yes. at the end. Yeah, but. I think so. But UAB is supposed to have a really good defense. I didn't watch that game, but I've heard really good things about their defense. Um, they've already knocked off the rust. They've gotten one game out of the way, which I think is a – huge advantage it's got to be startling to go out there without any fans or or very limited fans um you know miami lost to two conference usa teams as you said uh last year so (laughs) that fiu and louisiana tech game last year they have a lot riding on the line it's a thursday night 8 p.m game so everybody's going to be watching it and we'll see you know there was the news that um king you know, he threw six TDs in scrimmage with like 330 yards and went 24 for 34, which either means that he's, you know, the, he's, he's the, the stud that everybody thinks the defense is not as good as everybody thinks, uh, for Miami, or he was mm-hmm. playing up against the third string. So what, one of those things are true. And I guess we're going to find out pretty quickly, which it is. Well, I think I'm going to take UAB to cover, yeah. but I think this game could go one of two ways. One, Miami comes out, they kind of whip up on UAB. Jarrett King throws four touchdowns, and and someone on that broadcast says Miami is back. <laughs> yep. The other way it goes is that UB, UAB wins outright because this UAB team is bringing back a ton of production. They are very good. They've already played a game, which in some ways you could say is a disadvantage because Miami can see them on film. Yep. But I think in this year – it's an advantage, and the fact of the matter is UAB didn't show anything for Central Arkansas. They they did what they had to do to win the game. Uh, they won by double digits, and and they could have won by more. So they got a game in. They they've been looking forward to the Miami game. They know it's basically their season, you know, it's, yep. to be on the national stage and show what they got. And I think it's going to be really competitive. No, so I, I can't wait to watch it. But I'm going to take UAB against against that spread. Yeah, I'm taking them as well. 
I could see it. Next I game could we had being is like Sy- ten points. Um, yeah. something like that. Next game is Syracuse at UNC, an ACC game, and UNC is a shocking twenty-two point favorite against a conference foe here. Um, you said that you think Syracuse is going to be the worst team potentially in the ACC. So do you think UNC is covering that spread? So here's where the the first time that this pops up for me is whether people start to shut it down when they get comfortable, comfortable leads. So I think that, I think that spread for UNC, somebody said is the biggest that they've had on a podcast today since 2007 has been the, oh is the biggest spread for Last year, you look at UNC, all their games were decided by a touchdown, basically, uh, almost every single game that they were in, whether win or or loss. I am uh, I am not covering that. I'm not having them cover that spread solely because I think, especially early in the season, it's, you know, you don't know what the impact's going to be on COVID. The last thing that you need to do is double down and then have injury and COVID kind of coming. So I think there's going to be a greater propensity right. this year. And on top of that, you because of what's going on with COVID, you don't know when you're going to need your backups. So you want them to get playing time as soon as possible because they could be the guy, you know, the next game. So I think people are going to be more apt to shut it down once they have comfortable leads. Say it's 14 points, 20 points, something like that, than they would be, in other years. I know that's a little counter to what we just saw with some of the scores and some of the blowouts, but a lot of those teams are not playing for, you know, legit ACC conference championships though. They're playing for, you know, a little bit, you know, less and have a, you know, a little bit more house money depending on what, uh, the way you want to look at it. So I, I think that they would, they would shut it down a little bit earlier than they would otherwise. Yeah, and I'm with you. I'm going to take Syracuse against the 22 because if UNC has a 21-point lead in the late third quarter, like, do you really think that Daz Newsom is going to be out there? Like, I, I, I kind of doubt it. Next game is Duke at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a 20-point favorite. So think about that. We've got Notre Dame, one of the best teams in the country. They're only a 20-point favorite against Duke, and UNC is 22 against Syracuse. So, like, that that – it kind of shows you like that UNC line might be a little inflated. I'm going to go with Notre Dame minus 20. I think they cover against Duke at home. Yeah, I have them covering as well. And this, this same concept comes into play here, but then it's a little bit different because they need style points at the end of the year. I mean, it's likely you're not going to have any interconference games to be able to compare the SEC, the big 12 to the ACC so you're going to have to win your conference games with style. So I think when you look at teams like Clemson and Notre Dame, they may take a different approach where they're trying to run it up and show blowouts you know, on, on there if you're in the real hunt to make the, uh, to make the college And I think playoff. there's a key difference between UNC and Notre Dame in that UNC's backups are not the backups on Notre Dame and Clemson. Right. Where like Notre Dame and Clemson can put backups in and continue to throttle Duke. Yeah. So that, that's kind of where the, you have to take that into account when it comes to this friend. So are you taking Notre Dame yeah. minus this 20? Yep. Okay. Next game, Georgia Tech at FSU. It's a little bit more of an interesting match, a little bit tighter of a spread. But FSU is still a 12.5 point favorite. They're in Tallahassee. I'm going to take FSU. I still think Georgia Tech is a year or two away from being competitive against the most talented teams in the conference. Yeah, our first look at um, you know what what's going to happen with Norvell. 
The good news is the O-line for FSU can't get any worse. But I said that last year because if you remember the two years ago, they were yeah. dreadful. But I looked at the rankings of their offensive line and it only got modestly better. They were still like up in the hundreds in most offensive line categories from what I was able to see last year. Mm-hmm. So they still have a lot of work to do. Um, I noticed today their left tackles a freshman. Yeah. So, so that, <laughs> it's it's not great. <laughs> that is that's a little bit worry. If you also remember last time Georgia Tech and FSU played, um, that was like that was the game where it was the, the block, block field kick. goal and they uh, ran it back yeah. for the touchdown as time expired and won the game. So there might be a little bit of uh uh hatred of SSU since the last time they played and that happened against Georgia Tech. I'm going to go uh, FSU as well. Like you said, uh, I think Jeff Collins is the right guy for that program, but I think you know switching from that triple option into a more standard offense is going to take uh, at least a year or two more. Yeah, so I said that thing about the, the freshman being the left tackle, and that is true, but the there are three returning starters coming back on that offensive line. I'm flipping through my Athlon right now, and the other returning starter or the other starter is a senior. So it's a pretty experienced line, except for that that uh, left tackle, which is kind of a key position. Yep, uh, but, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> but um, I'm going to take FSU as well. So let's move to Clemson at Wake. Yes, a conference game. No, not a close spread. <laughs> this is 33 points. Clemson's the favorite. Wake, as we mentioned, lost Sage Surratt to the opt-out. Um, they lost a ton of other guys, including Jamie Newman, who transferred and then opt-out of playing at Georgia. So Boogie Basham is back on their defense for Wake, and he's probably by far the best player on their entire team, but they don't have much else. And I don't know if Clemson is going to win by 33 or 30 or 28, but they're going to win by a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, gosh, this is hard, man. This Because uh, I know we just talked about the backups and they could still kill them, but like they are in Winston-Salem and Wake – is okay they've got sam hartman at quarterback i'm gonna take wake i I think they can lose by 31 (laughs) keep it keep it within 31 ah all right well i'm gonna go different just to spice things up a little bit i'm gonna go with clemson to win by like 35 and then wku at louisville i thought was an interesting game an in-state matchup wku is pretty good Yep. And Scott Satterfield's Cardinals are 11 and a half point favorites. I like WKU to cover in, in what is a little bit of a rivalry game. What was the spread on that one? 11 and a half is what I have. I'm going to take Louisville on that one. So, okay. Yeah. And if they do win by two touchdowns, I think that's a very solid victory uh, to start off the season for them. Yeah. I mean, WKU is a good program, no, no doubt, in state. Um, I don't know. I just got a feeling that Louisville's gonna gonna play well. They very well. They very well might. And the last game you mentioned was Louisiana at Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State been on the rise the last few years. They're eleven and a half point favorites at home against what should be a feisty Louisiana team, a team that is in a few of the preseason top twenty fives. Yeah, I mean, can you believe it? It's Matt Campbell's fifth year already i feel like he was like just hired um i went to look at it i was like what's he in year like two year three um you know ul lafayette is ranked in like the mid 40s on like the cbs sports poll 
I think then the, the coaches poll, I mean, they're, they're a good program. Um, and they rank higher than that. Um, a lot of other places as well. So, uh, Iowa state's, you know, the cyclones, I'm going to go, um, UL Lafayette, uh, to cover that, cover that spread. And, and maybe I'll look foolish, but I'm going to go with it. Yeah, it's tough. Like Athlon is the the people I trust the most generally when it comes to the preseason rankings. They had Iowa State at 17 and Louisiana at 41. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of a gap there. Yeah. Uh, but is it a two touchdown gap? I I, I don't know. It, it's definitely a tough call. I think I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Louisiana as well. I just mm-hmm. I have a feeling they're gonna keep it tight. And Iowa State, I don't know how many games. Iowa State games you've bet the last couple of years, but I feel like I always get let down in my bets with Iowa State. Yeah, and I never pick them when they have like their big upsets that always happen where they right. knock off. Like, and you're like, oh, I didn't see that. Like, they keep it like really close with Oklahoma, or you know, it, it always seems to happen. And I never, I never am on the right side of that. So you know, go figure. I'll probably be on the wrong side of this one. But I'm right, gonna go. Yeah, you... I'm gonna go with the uh, the underdog here and, and see what happens. Yeah, you and me both. So that's going to wrap it up for the picks for this weekend. There's really not a lot of any anything of interest out there. I mean, you have some big 12 teams playing, uh, but the, most of them are playing just really bad teams, uh, and the spreads are huge. Yeah, not much else to, you know, once we get the SEC back, we'll have a little bit more, a little bit more to choose from. But, um, you know, I was joking with you before the podcast. I started going through the games that I wanted to watch. I was like, man, do I really just want to watch all ACC games? But then I looked at the whole slate, and I, then I thought to myself, well, the only people playing right now are really the Big 12 and the ACC. The SEC hasn't even started, really. It hasn't started, so there's not much to choose from, uh, quite frankly. Yeah. So uh, it was it was funny. Thinking about that Miami-UAB game, which is the first game, it's, it's in two days, um, I the best case scenario for Tech really is that Miami looks really good and you know kicks butt and starts doing the typical Miami thing where they like ride high and then just come crashing back down to earth at the time that they start ACC play or play us or whatever. But if you look at Miami's early slate, it is tough, man. They let me let me just read it off real quick. Their first four or five games in the ACC, it's Louisville, Florida State, Clemson, Pitt, and UVA. Yeah, that's like that, that's no joke to start the season, man. I mean, that is at Clemson and at Louisville, by the way. So that that is brutal. They could easily be, I mean, that Louisville FSU Clemson start that that could be zero and three without a doubt. That could be zero and three. So well, there's two ways that they could get burnt here. So and Miami always finds a, a unique way to do it. So one is they come out and they throw a stinker in there and take an L and the team quits as we've mm-hmm. seen uh, in past uh, past year, this past year, or they do what they did last time, which was uh, before that when they were ranked, I think they got up to like number two in the country or what, when remember that when they started off with like nine, the March Rick year. Yeah. Nine wins yeah, yeah. or something like that. And then it they just, crushed Notre Dame right after they crushed us. And then the wheels just completely fell off at the end um, and fell off for the next two seasons. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's going to end up happening here, but I think, um, you know, I'll be, I'll certainly be rooting for, for UAB. That's for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, why not, right? <laughs> we hate the Canes, so. Yeah. yeah, this has kind of been like a Miami hate podcast. Hate week is technically next week against UVA, which I'm very much looking forward to, but we, we got out a lot of our Miami hate tonight. There's just um, been too much talk about Miami with not as enough substance whatsoever. And not enough preparation time with all those pieces coming together. I, I know they got Quincy Roche from Temple, who's a sensational defensive end, and they got the best quarterback transfer on the market. And they got like, I think they got another offensive lineman from Houston to add to him Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other transfers. And I just don't think it's enough time for it all to gel. Getting new coordinators, we're dealing with it, but at least Hamilton was within the program. You know what I mean? And so that's why I'm a little bit higher on on our situation gelling uh, more so than Miami's. Do you want to do another beer break before we sign off tonight? Yeah, I'll finish off my last non-alcoholic brew. Uh, why don't you right. start this time, though? Okay. I'm drinking the Hofbrau Oktoberfest beer. Uh, yes, this is another Oktoberfest. I did two last week. And Hofbrau, if you go to any German beer garden, they it's on tap, their original brew. But this is their Oktoberfest. A little bit more caramely, a little bit more of that malt in there. And it's it's really nice. I, I told you last week I, I love the Polliner. And I really enjoyed the Yindling. Um, but this one is is tasty. I, I might put it somewhere uh above uh above the polliner even. I I I really love this Hofbrau, man. It, it's it's tasty. And like I said, Hofbrau is an extremely popular German beer. You can you can find it just about anywhere you go if it's if it's got any German influence. So I would recommend this one uh for the end of your September drinking here. What do you got? I have the well-being intentional IPA. So this is out of Maryland Heights, Maryland, well-being brewing and non-alcoholic beer. It's an intentional IPA, but it intentionally didn't make an IPA. This tastes almost, um, this probably tastes more similar to like a German style, um, beer or Belgian style beer than anything else. There's almost nothing Calling this a pale ale might be even aggressive. It's not an IPA whatsoever. Hmm. It's not very good at all. Um, so I would I would stick, and it comes in a bomber can. So at one tip uh, for those out there trying to switch to non-alcoholic beers, either you know sometimes or all the time, uh, avoid the bombers because uh, yeah, you know, 16 ounces of a good beer is a lot. And a lot of people complain about the new kind of uh, 16 ounces versus the 12 ounces and how mm-hmm. it, getting that. And then in, and in a non-alcoholic beer and maybe one that you actually don't like that much is even worse because it's just four more <laughs> ounces of pain that you have to get through. It's not, it's not horrible, but it is, it's not, it's probably the worst of the uh, IPAs or, or pale ales that I've done on, um, on the non-alcoholic side. If I am not sharing a beer, as in like at a party where you pour it into two separate glasses or something, I really don't want a 16-ounce can. Yeah. I, I really don't. I, that, that's something the brewery started doing, I guess, to save on production costs. But you could still sell the four-pack at just as much or more than the six-pack. Uh, but it's a scam. Yeah. <laughs> and I would much rather have six 12-pack cans. like that Because like you said, if I don't like it, I have less to drink. And if I want to drink more throughout the night, there's, you know, I get to space it out more. I don't have to have, you know, all 16 ounces dedicated to one flavor. Yeah. You end up, and then you end up drinking them faster. Then you're out of beer faster because, and 
you have to drink them faster because by the end they're warm generally mm-hmm. depending on the pace that you're drinking at or they're like flat or if you get like some of those really really hoppy beers all the like even more sediment has like sunk to the bottom so where <laughs> normally that can happen with you know um you know some of those really really hoppy beers it gets no, I'm uh, with it, you, man. it can get it's like four more ounces of that has all sunk to the bottom and you're basically I've had beers on here where I haven't been able to like talk before when I get down to the bottom because there's like, it feels like having like a coughing fit. Yeah. You remember like in college when you take like creatine and you know, you had to like chug the whole thing of creatine uh, down because otherwise all the sediment of the creatine that didn't absorb into the water all sunk to the bottom. And then you got this palate full of like sugar mixed with water that you can, that'll happen with those types of beers. So I agree with you. They, they need to go back to the twelve ounces. I don't know. We we may have we may have lost that war, but a lot of people and I see on Twitter all the time, more and more people being like, just go back to the twelve ounces. The the sixteen yeah. ounces just don't make sense. That was Robbie's do you even lift bro segment of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well that's why it was uh college. So uh that was uh you know that was well well over uh 10 years ago so uh yeah well i I put the thing on uh twitter the other day how i i started my bank account at virginia tech right after i moved in the dorms and it's been 18 years since then so it's like that was the midpoint of my life 18 years to get to tech and uh yeah it's been a long time since we started college robbie and i don't like to like reveal our age too much on here because you don't we don't want you to think we're two old guys like get off my lawn type thing but yeah we're we're kind of old (laughs) so i opened up my bank account when i at first virginia bank because i was a bank teller then in high school believe it or not they gave a bank teller job to a, a high school kid so i think i was or maybe i came back from college um but it was first virginia bank that got acquired by, I don't know how the whole thing went, BB&T, and then BB&T got acquired by Wachovia, and then Wachovia yeah, they, got acquired by Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo yeah. So uh, my Wells Fargo is probably about as old as, as yours is, maybe maybe a yeah. year or two more tenured. Well, I had to start the Wells Fargo account when I moved down there. I had you know a Delaware account, but like because I needed to be able to take you know my $5, my $20 out of the ATM every weekend to buy my solo cups. And and I tried to make that money last as long as possible. That's right. You don't have the cash on you. It always seems to go longer. And then at least when like people are like, all right, you're going to chip in for pokey sticks. You're like, ah, dude, I didn't go to the ATM today. So uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these kids today don't, they can't use that excuse because you can just Venmo anybody, anything. <laughs> That's right. There was none of that back then. No. All right, so that's going to do it for today's podcast. We are going to be previewing UVA next week. I cannot wait. I'm. This is when it starts to hit me. I'm like disappointed we're not ha- playing this weekend against NC State, but it's all right. Well, a little bit longer. We can wait for the Commonwealth Cup matchup. I'm just envisioning, like you know, having all the fantasies of us just giving them a beatdown, and that's really, really what I want. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping. I've, I found out I wasn't paying attention to this. I have a two day golf tournament on Saturday and Sunday. So the tea times anywhere from like seven to noon, uh, on Saturday. So I'm hoping I get the earlier tea time on, on Saturday. But what that also means is twofold. One, I'll be drinking in the morning, um, on the golf course, which, and then drinking afterwards. And depending on what time our game is at and what they pick, hopefully it's the later game. But then even if I do that, if I get the, 
you know, hopefully the earlier tea time, then I would have the late tea time uh, on Sunday. Usually they swap them. So I'm hoping they don't have a little time to sleep in uh, and shake off this hangover, uh, which. Yeah, well, do you want the night game then? You want the 730 night game? Yes, that would be ideal. Yeah. At least I can come home and I'm not rushing back from the golf. I can take a shower, get ready, get some get some beer, maybe, you know, sober up a little bit and, and start it again. For sure, man. Make sure to hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. Make sure to email us. It's 2DVT at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or anything you want to send along. And then make sure you follow Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer on Twitter and on Instagram. Just Google it. uh, Search it on your Instagram. It'll come right up. And then I think the last thing is subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you could give us a review, that'd be awesome. I know we don't ask for reviews too, too much. But uh, Robbie read that silly review from us uh, last week, so um, we're gonna we're gonna need something to uh, to boost our score a little bit. I think. (laughs) Still, that one I I gotta hang that on my wall or something. I gotta get it framed and put up because it's it's my favorite. Somebody responded and they said they said I I think the tweet was something like. you know, you guys need to announce yourselves as Beta Berthod and Liberal Dowling or Liberal Robbie yeah, or, or like Dowlib, yeah, yeah Dowlib something like or that. something along those lines. So I was like, yeah, yeah, you pegged us right. There you go. Just, just two Beta Libs talking football, man. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> That's what we are, right? Anyway, uh, and until next time, when we're previewing UVA and getting very excited for the season, go Hokies. <laughs>